The Pellicle Podcast is supported by our Patreon subscribers. If you'd like to support our website, podcast and magazine, please visit patreon.com forward slash pellicalemag. I'm Matthew Curtis, and this is the Pellicle Podcast. Welcome to the Pellicle Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Curtis, and over the next hour, we'll be digging into some of our favourite topics. Beer, wine, cider, along with the food and travel that goes hand in hand with these experiences. Today's episode is our last in the series, but don't be upset. We'll be back with some specials recorded at last year's Fine Fest in just a few weeks' time. And before then, you can enjoy our interview with Jimmy Haverly, founder of Unity Brewing Company in Southampton. Jimmy is a good friend of mine and a fantastic brewer. He established his brewery in 2016, influenced by modern hoppy beers such as Russian River's Pliny the Elder and Focal Banger from Vermont's The Alchemist. His other influence is closer to home, however, Belgium. He's just as interested in perfecting his crisp, nuanced saisons as he is his intensely hopped IPAs. The other thing that interests Jimmy is building his business, but not in the way you might think. He doesn't feel the need to grow his business to any greater size than he operates at already. Instead, he wants to grow slowly and laterally, investing in his people and a sustainable, good quality of life for his family and his employees' families. It's a noble aim, and one that for me is at the core of independent brewing here in the United Kingdom. Stick around after the interview is done too, as I'll be reading another feature from our site. This time, it's a piece from Owen Walsh who headed to Rwanda in search of authenticity and instead went on a journey of self-discovery. So whatever you're doing, please sit back, relax and enjoy the show. You're listening to The Pellicle Podcast. questions i'm just going to shoot from the hip conversational style cool i hope you're ready for a grilling <laughs> uh because um my interview technique is is you know it's well known it's pretty brutal <laughs> um i want to talk about obviously I'm terrified <laughs> jimmy hadley from unity uh brewing co hey matt thanks for thanks for coming on the pellicle podcast it's an absolute pleasure um so let's start with the basics. Why did you decide to start your own brewery down here in, in Southampton? Well, um, I was brewing in London and um, me and my wife uh, decided that we wanted to leave London, move back down to Southampton. Mm-hmm. Most of our family live here and so if we ever wanted to buy a house and start a family, all the things that are more difficult in London to do... Um, uh, much more achievable in Southampton, so we, we, we made a decision to move back. And I'd been thinking about starting something anyway, mm. uh, be it... I mean, you I'd, started in I'd, 2016, didn't that's you? That's right, yeah. So how long you, had you been thinking for? Um, well, since... Um, I, when I was working at Camden and I was doing... I was, I was really ramped up my home brewing. When I was, I was, I was brewing at Camden Town Brewery, um, I was thinking about a brand and be it, it, it just something for myself you know so the original idea was that I'd probably gypsy brew a little bit mm-hmm. um, and just have something cool that I did uh, for my own ego <laughs> to <Yeah>. be honest <laughs> more than anything else I mean I, I bounded around the Sounds ideas like of, uh, a <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, before working in beer I, I worked in uh, wine retail and I, I bounded the ideas dear around of um I started writing a business plan for a beer shop, mm-hmm. and uh, well, a beer and wine shop, and um, so I've always liked the idea of having something of my own, um, 
rather than working for someone else. I also think I'm not a very good employee. <laughs> uh, yeah, for various reasons. Mm. Um, not for not working hard, but just for not really like being told what to do very much. Uh, I, I can yeah. share that. As, as someone who sort of uh, works for themselves now, I can share that sentiment. Mm. Yeah. I you know, we like get frustrated for how way people do things. You're Absolutely, like, but you could do it another way, but it might be totally right for them. But it's just not right for me. Yeah. Um, so I think starting something of my own was something I wanted to do for sure. Mm-hmm. And moving back down to Southampton, um, the scene down here was just starting to bubble in terms of micro pubs and things, and people were starting to catch on to good beer. Yeah. More, more and more. Um, so. I thought, well, if someone if I'm going to start it anywhere, then Southampton's a perfect place. You know, it's hometown, and you know, try and do something that the city can be proud of as well as myself. You know, mm. so I worked at a couple of breweries down here uh, whilst writing, you know, my business plan and making tweaks for it. And then in um, mid 2016, got the keys to the premises. Uh, first brew on the 25th of October 2016. Nice. So, how, so how long? So how long were you in London for? Quite a while, right? I lived in London for eight years, mm-hmm. and um, had been in, I guess, in the beer industry for about five years before I left Southampton. So you were you were in wine retail, yeah, and then you went into brewing, yeah, and that was with um, London Fields back in the day. London Fields for my sins, yeah. <laughs> We don't have to talk about them too much. I imagine most people that are listening to podcasts don't know anything about them, apart from them being bought out by Carlsberg and Brooklyn. Yeah. But uh, back in the days when London's beer scene was uh, kicking off, mm. they were had an interesting reputation. They, they did, and I used, I remember you know there weren't very many breweries in in sort of two thousand ten two thousand eleven when I was really mm. starting to take notice of what was happening, and it was quite yeah. exciting just to have a brewery like that. Yeah, I mean, I took a job there, so I was working for Oddbins, and I helped start a local beer buying scheme mm-hmm. um, because people like the Colonel had opened, and Hackney Brewery, Beavertown, and London Fields had just opened, and there was exciting beer around and we weren't stocking any of it so mm. I was really really pushing them I mean I was home brewing and I was really into beer and I'd been all over Europe drinking awesome beer and so it was a thing that I was passionate about and so really tried to push Oddbins to do that and they uh, started letting us use the petty cash to buy cases of beer <laughs> off, uh, off uh, local breweries great basically. idea yeah and um, off the back of that I was buying a little bit of the London Fields beer um, and uh, they offered me a job as a sales and market manager. Uh, so I did sales and marketing there, managing there, on the premise that they would let me get involved in the brewing as well. Yeah. So I didn't do a huge amount of brewing there, but I certainly learned my way around a 10 barrel super manual kit. You were home brewing at the time? Yeah. Um, and then from London Fields, you went to Cam- Camden Town? Not directly, no. So um, I. Managed a craft beer bar in between that called Hops and Glory. It's not there anymore. Yeah. It's called something else. Now. I, I remember the um, Hops and Glory. And uh, then got asked to help open the King's Arms in Bethnal Green. Yeah. And also do all the brewing at the Isle of Essex, their sister pub. Yeah. Uh, so their sister pub has uh, had a kit behind the bar, little four barrel kit. I think that kit lives in Spain somewhere now. Does it? Good. I'm Catalonia. Good. I hope that it's so, gone to so, a good someone, home. It's being used. Excellent. But it's not in a pub anymore. Um, <laughs> So uh, yeah, so I did the the, the brewing there for for a year. Um, half of that I was um, helping manage the King's Arms, mm-hmm. um, and um, fantastic me, pub as well. Yeah, amazing pub. I love 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 that pub. Yeah. Um, it was uh, the only reason I stopped working there really was because I was just getting more and more into making beer really, and didn't want to not didn't want to have a job that wasn't making beer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, so uh, we did a collaboration with Alex Troncoso, who was then director of brewing at Camden. Yeah. Uh, we got like a house on fire, and I said, "Look, have you got a job?" And so he said, "Yeah, got a job for you." So I started working at Camden, and that was the last job I had in London before I moved back down. Um, but Matt Aarons, who was uh, doing the brewing with me at the Earl of Essex, mm-hmm. is um, now the head brewer at Amundsen. Amundsen in yeah. Norway. In Norway, okay. yeah. So his wife is uh, Norwegian. Okay. And I think they were like, let's go and have family times. Yeah. <laughs> and hang out much in, like a, yourself, in a really. lovely place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, very much so. And that's great. 
the beer he's making at Amundsen's nuts. Mm. Um, and you didn't immediately start Unity when you moved back. You brewed uh, for a few places around here. Yeah, I brewed at a couple of pretty traditional breweries down mm-hmm. here. Um, Learn some interesting stuff about old school, old school shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what kind of thing? Like some good things and bad things, you know. Yeah. Like how, what the hell are you doing with your years, Christ? But also, what were the good things? Learning about proper cast conditioning and yeah. and what makes really good cast beer mm. uh, was great, um, really good. Uh, but you don't do cast beer that you. We do. don't here. We dabbled with it before, mm. um, but people didn't want it. <laughs> they wanted all our keg stuff, mm. and uh, I was kind of hoping that we'd have like a nice little cast following, and like every couple of months we'd bang out a batch of some interesting, probably more traditional English styles in cast but we just there just wasn't a market for it and we got to the point where I was like well it's not selling quick enough I don't want to be faffing around washing cast all the time we don't need to so we stopped doing it mm, mm. Yeah. and so you opened in October 2016 not here though you're much smaller yes we but had a little tiny industrial unit in parts of Lampton called Portswood yeah and it was pokey as anything on a really super manual pretty basic uh, very cheap kit. <laughs> yeah, and um, what si- what sort of size? What was your batch ten hectolitre batches? Yeah, and we were brewing about two and a half times a week, roughly. Yeah, um, and in comparison, what are you now? We're twenty hec. Mm-hmm. So we've 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 totally doubled. Yeah, and um, we've got the ability to brew. Well, we've got tank space to brew. We, we we give the beer a little bit more time now than we were before in tank. So we we've got the space to brew twice a week at the moment mm. but room to expand although it's not at all on my agenda to do that <laughs> no and I really want to get uh, into that kind of thinking and ethos um, later on in this conversation because mm. that's really fascinating to me considering how many brewer- breweries we see who are chasing expansion and growth I've got opinions yes <laughs> well let's find out those opinions but first Sweet. I'm really interested in why uh, did you call yourself Unity and your brand is quite strong um, cool. you work with an artist who I'd love to hear yeah, a little like bit about and uh, you're, you're, you even have a colour palette that's, it's very mellow pastel colours and it all seems to fit in with this, this idea of Unity so tell us about yeah, how you came up with the, um, with the brand idea because it's a very very strong brand cool good I think well, so it worked <laughs> thank goodness um, so uh, luckily my wife is a, um, a marketing strategist okay well there you go uh, so, <laughs> so there's um, no, no slacking in that but department. I've always been really into marketing and stuff like that and yeah. branding as well you know I've been, I've been always been a bit of a kind of um, beer branding nerd you know yeah I, 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 I do dig it and, and, it, and it's, it's fun you know mm. um, so we, we, we worked together on um, a, what we wanted to represent, essentially. Mm. So what I love about the beer industry is uh, in certainly the majority of the beer industry in the UK and, and internationally, really, is, is really unified. Everyone really works together. Mm. I wouldn't be the brewer I am today without the help of other breweries, you know, and other brewers that I've met along the way. and. Um, people that are really close friends of mine yeah. you know helping me learn and develop and all the rest of it and so it's, it's like several prongs to it really you know beer is a unifying drink you know it's 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 the so it's social lubricant it's it's there it's it's main the main purpose of beer mm. is to uh it's social lubricant you know yeah. it's is to like lighten everything up a little bit make people a little bit more relaxed and help conversation flow yeah you know. it's, it's funny actually like, like off the subject but like that pellicle starting that and the, the whole approach Johnny and I came up with was like we want to celebrate the joy of drink and actually yeah. what's made us realise is actually the social lubricant side of it is is probably the the, the best part about it yeah it is exactly you know like you build I mean some people don't drink and that's fine and they build friendships in lots of different interesting and wonderful ways but the way that I have built a lot of my friendships uh, is by having drinks down the pub mm. you know same and, yes you know and in brew tap rooms and you know in bars and all the rest of it and uh, at house parties and things and you know you have a couple of drinks and conversation flows and and, and you relax mm. you know so so beer brings people together so there's that and the third prong of it is is um 
it, bringing ingredients together to make something so much more interesting, wonderful than some of their parts. You know, barley on its own is fine, but and some people find it really interesting, like your dad probably. <laughs> yeah, and, um, yeah. And, <laughs> uh, do you know what? I I'd love to move the conversation on barley to the next stage and talk about it like we talk about hops. And I've tried, mm. and it, people aren't. I've even had a, an event. People aren't really that interested yet. But I've got a few things up my sleeve. There's people in malt who I just need to put in front of people. Yeah, cool, right? Uh, so it should be really. But yeah, any, but sorry. I mean that's it. Like barley on its own is nothing. It's 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 fine. It's a great thing. But mm. when you mix it with water and yeast, it becomes something really awesome. Yeah. Like mosaic hops, right? Cryo mosaic on its own is rubbish. You know, it's horrible. It's bitter. It's disgusting. Bring it. Put it with a load of other amazing ingredients and put a brewing process and fermentation and conditioning and the rest. Of yeah. It. All of a sudden, mosaic hops are awesome, right? Yeah. Like hops sing, of their own sing, in general you know, are horrible. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. they're vegetal. They're harsh. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. And yeast is not. You know, no one likes drinking yeast. That's no. honest. You know, marmite's very nice, but that's that's an extract. It's a, yeah. There's a process Indeed. involved in making marmite. Indeed, I will agree that I think mar- <laughs> marmite is very nice. Well done. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it's a you know unifying ingredients to make something so much more interesting than some of its parts. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a big it's a big part of that. So you know it was it just worked. The name mm. Unity worked, and and I, I, I thought about it, and I thought maybe it sounds a little bit cheesy or not, but it was just represented what I wanted to put out about ourselves mm. so nicely mm. Mm. and it and it wasn't currently being used mm. <laughs> you know it was like you know you can find all of the great you know one of the first uh, names that we that we thought of um, and when we, when we when we first first started discussing ideas was Verdant yeah <laughs> and uh, you google it and it's like oh there's this little uh, nano brewery in Cornwall uh, apparently it's kind of cool I like the cut there Jib you know little nano brew that could be here in a year's time they might not be I was like well I'll leave it alone yeah <laughs> <laughs> so I was, jo- you, you, I was joking yeah. with James Heffron from um, from Verdant and uh, and I was like we, we nearly called ourselves Verdant he was like it would have been absolutely brilliant if you had uh, well one, could, one yeah. of you could have been Verdant and the other one could have been Verdant yes <laughs> and which one would have been no, right no, no. <laughs> never mind that's a terrible in joke. Uh, I want to talk about your branding, but first, before we drain these glasses, um, you're you're a saison enthusiast. Yes, um, as am I. Uh, and it, we're drinking a saison. It's and it's this. I would describe it as juicy. Uh, it has okay, this cool. really. It, and when I say juicy, I mean it, it, the flavours are, are rounded, mm. uh, and um, uh, it's it has a sort of almost like red berry character to it. Yeah, it's, it's a little acidity. Um, it's very drinkable. Yeah. Yeah, um, good. So tell us a little bit about this, this beer we're drinking. So we are drinking a rye saison that we brewed in collaboration with Toastale, mm-hmm. who make beer out of uh, leftover bread, bread yeah. basically. And um, they approached us and I'd wanted to brew a beer with waste bread from a local bakery, mm-hmm. Hoxton Bakehouse, who make absolutely phenomenal sourdough. And just like the idea of it and whether they approached us I was like cool sweet we'll do it and give some money to a pretty good cause at the same time so I built the recipe around um, around the bread itself and trying to get the um, a a character of rye bread in mm. the beer you know like a liquid rye bread vibe so yeah. we used quite a lot of rye in the mash mm-hmm. uh, we used some just nice straightforward spicy sartops and uh, we use a little, just a touch of caraway seeds in it as well, just to give that flavour memory that people have with rye bread, you know. Mm-hmm. And we fermented it with uh, a yeast that's supposedly a Blaugies isolate, mm-hmm. um, which uh, from Imperial yeast, a yeast called Rustic, which is my favourite Saison yeast. Yeah. And I love it. Um, and yeah, it, it, it came together really nicely. I'm really happy with how it's come out. Something we're trying to do with our Saisons is make, Saisons should be really drinkable and refreshing. Yeah. Was having a really interesting complexity. Yeah, the ester character—it's not like overwhelming um, with like like phenols and esters no. and, and that that kind of. Yeah, it's, it's, it's got a balance. It's, it's dry. It's slightly acidic. Yeah. Uh, not sour. Uh, I mean, acidic as in it's like yeah, yeah, like of course. Super, yeah, acidity super is an important palatable. part of uh, of any beer, really. Um, th- one thing that I really strongly think about saisons as well, and I think that a lot of people miss when they're brewing saisons, is that it should either be able to be. Uh, 
in, you, you should be able to like if you want to drink it on your own and you want to get into the complexities you'll be able to mm. you'll be able to get yourself down a little hole with it and, and yeah. you know really get into it or you can completely ignore it and it's just a really nice refreshing drink to whilst you're chatting away yeah. with people like, and that's what a really good saison should be I think I mean the Belgians call saison a, a beer of the people to be yeah. fair they call all beers a beer of the people mm. but um, yeah. you know this is this is something like I, I definitely could sit and and break down and think about for hours, but also I could also throw back several, yeah, several exactly. uh, uh, two thirds of all pints. Um, uh, brewing with bread's an interesting one for me because I'm quite cynical about it being something of a malt enthusiast. Mm. Because for me, the art of making a, a craft beer, if you will, is about using the highest quality ingredients possible yeah. and, and using um, really cracking mm. malt. Yeah. And I, when I see I see um, leftover bread as, as a waste product. So yeah. I'm interested why you were so enthusiastic to brew with 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 leftover bread when it when you could just make uh, saison with lots of nice malt. What's the appeal of, of brewing with, with bread? It and what did you what did you find you got from it? Well I don't think we got so we used a, we used about two thirds sourdough from Hoxton mm-hmm. and a half of that was rye sourdough mm-hmm. and uh, a third uh, the waste bread the toast you get from their supply which is a really big sandwich manufacturer essentially they get rid of all the crusts and mm. the rest of it we've we've got quite a big environmental um, ethos at the brewery. Mm-hmm. We use renewable energy, we recycle our key kegs, and um, I think it's really important that any company now has that. Yes. And so reusing something that would otherwise be completely thrown away, especially food, which is you know such a so ridiculous that any food's being thrown away. Sustainability um, is, you know. is, is going to be a, a huge... Uh, by the time this airs, mm. uh, it'll be... There'll be so much more conversation happening about it. Yeah, there needs to be, there needs to be. Um, and people need to do more about it. Um, so it was cool, and I thought I liked the idea of using different ingredients, you know, mm-hmm. and just trying stuff out. And I'd had a couple of beers made with uh, waste sourdough bread before, and I thought they were really nice. And so I thought, cool, this is this is a good, you know, there's some good vibes to be had here. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, just wasn't just yeah. wasn't quite. A, I mean, the the, the trouble with uh, with an ingredient like that, like you say, it's um, it's not the finest malt and all the rest of it. Mm. But I don't think a huge amount of beers are made with the finest malt. You know, a lot of beers are made with pretty basic malt, and they're still pretty de- mm. pretty delicious. I think you get a lot more. We we use you know most of our the majority of our malt comes from Simpsons, and mm-hmm. a large portion of that's gone promise, and they are it it is. The, it's the good shit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, and we use that deliberately because it's the good shit, it's and good it makes our beer taste really good. Vinny Silverzo. Um, but but <laughs> it's what? Good for yeah, everyone. right. Yeah. Um, but I really think the sourdough bread added a, a piquancy to the beer that I thought was was really interesting, mm-hmm. and just giving that sort of thing a go, I just think it's great. And and you know, we didn't pay for that bread, so there was twenty five percent of our whole grist that we didn't pay for, which is good. Yeah. It made the beer slightly cheaper to sell. Yeah. Um and So you pass that saving on to the Yeah, the we drinker. do we do a costing and yeah. we you know what, that's our, fantastic. what our ingredients cost us we is is what we cost uh cost our, our you know our, our product out. Um yeah. Great. I, don't know. I want. I want to talk a bit more about. <laughs> I'd your like bit. to go further with that, but I don't yeah. think I have that much more interesting things to say about I, it. it was, I, I want to it talk. Seemed a bit like a cool idea, and it made a nice bit. <laughs> uh, I want to talk a bit more about your beers in, in a moment, but first, uh, we were talking about you, where you got the the name and the ethos and the idea of unity from. Um, but let's talk about your brand. What's the name of your designer? Because uh, you Matt Canning. Matt Canning. Find him. He's and so good. I th- I think your your artwork is fantastic. Thank so you. tell us a little bit about how that came about. So I, I, from from the often we wanted to make sure that we weren't really masculine and we were very much you know a part of the, the the ethos of of being unity was that we would be approachable to everybody, and so we didn't want to go down the sort of heavy cartoon route mm. or anything like that and. Um, I wanted the colour palette to be really open and friendly to everybody. You know, mm. one of our core beers is, is bright pink, and um, we had some f- people like, "Oh, bright pink beer," and I was like, "Come on!" And for a start, real men wear pink, right? So it's uh, indeed. <laughs> uh, but I mean, which, which, I, I digress, which, and I started talking. Which of the now, but, um, uh, which of the core beers is pink? 
Congregate oh, in Belgian Pale. Yeah. And it's a really fresh, bright, vibrant beer. So mm-hmm. the, 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 the really nice pale pink colour we do that we've, that our tap room is basically all of that. It that, is, it's, that very, it's, it's a big pink room. Um, it's a brewery, isn't it? Is, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But it's a really nice, and, it, and that kind of, it, I guess it's a pastel um, palette that we use. Mm. It's just really bright and airy and fresh and really friendly. You know, it's uh, there's no jagged edges to those sorts of colours. You know, mm-hmm. and, and and that's a big part of our beer. And and the beer that we make, we either make we, we we kind of have two sides of it. One is is really really soft uh, IPAs with a focus on that softness and drinkability rather than necessarily absolute intensity. Mm-hmm. So it's our take on the New England style. Really, it's not. I'm not looking for 25 grams per litre dry hop and just it tastes like a hop cone. I want it to just be really soft and pillowy and lovely. Mm-hmm. And so our, our dry hop levels aren't necessarily quite as high as some of the um, breweries that make that style, just because I want it to be lovely and soft. Yes. And I think if you go too hardcore, you get a lot of acidity and you get burn and you get bitterness from it and, and other byproducts, um, just for the sake of aroma intensity, which mm-hmm. isn't isn't my isn't our focus. Although I think our beers have got a pretty Intense aroma. Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah. Collision. Your your what you call a South Coast IPA. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's just intense fruit flavors. Yeah. But um, uh, I guess we're going to talk about your beers now because th- th- here we are. Cool. Uh, and I want to talk about Collision because I'm a huge fan of it because uh, I think something that the New England IPA style. I like those beers, mm. but it's the kind of beer like the first half of the can is like, oh, this is amazing, and the second half of the can is like, oh, this is like, it's quite quite a lot to yeah. it's not refreshing me anymore but Collision yeah. is a beer like oh I thought I had six cans in the fridge where have they gone it's, <laughs> it's a drinkable Great. beer mission accomplished and what <laughs> something we've talked about this beer before because it has you're very influenced by Belgium you love Saison yeah. there's a big one yeah. of your core beers is a, is a low ABV Belgian like table beer yeah beer. we call it a Belgian pale just because that's what people get but mm. i when we the first brew of it, we just called a table beer mm-hmm. uh, because to me it's a little Belgian table beer, mm-hmm. which I guess essentially when you break it down, it's a little saison. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Collision's good. I, I love Collision. The, the original uh, thought process around Collision. Well, there's I guess there's two different sides of it. There was mm-hmm. one using spelt malt, so it's a spelt IPA, so we use a, a relatively decent portion of spelt malt in there, which adds a really lovely honey, and kind of all the lovely top notes you get from hazelnut. Mm-hmm. So, not the kind of nuttiness, but the, the bright top notes you get and from spe- a nut like and that. spelt, just to be clear for those people listening, spelt is not, it's a different grain to, to uh, wheat and barley. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it kind of, it's like a heritage wheat grain, yeah. essentially. It yeah. predates wheat, as we know it. Um, but... It's slightly windy. <laughs> Drinking to Tim and the Saison. That'll be the Saison, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I like what it does in the Saison, and I thought that kind of character is going to work in this style. Yeah. And um, so we did it, and I'm sure we weren't the first person to do it, uh, because it's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the second focus on it was, uh, I'm a massive fan of Focal Banger from um, what The beer? Alchemist. What a beer. And it's like got this real big, heavy dankness to it. Mm. Um, the uh, the only Columbus hops can do, <laughs> and yes, so indeed. we. Uh, but, but I wanted to fact, have that. that, that you know, when I think about dankness in hops, Columbus is is it's the boy. Is yeah, yeah absolutely. That and Summit, absolute boy. Columbus and Summit, which is great. But also, it's really great as a seasoning to accentuate um, the richness of other hops. So if you use a little bit of Columbus with mosaic, it makes mosaic taste more mosaic-y. Yeah. You know, like less of the kind of overripe mango, but much more of the other great things that mosaic has. You know, so... The savoury um, notes? I kind of like the savoury edge of mosaic. I guess that kind of slight oniony thing that yeah. you get. But also a slight herbal note, and not the qu- not the so heavy overripe fruits, the kind of just nice, the fruits that you want to it's, eat type it's a, fruits. It's about balance. <laughs> yeah. It is, and so with those two and with the softness, I mean, like, it's it's pretty low bitterness, and so although Columbus adds some structure to it, um, I mean, it's about 35 IBU or something like that, mm. which is nothing for an IPA, and, and Focal Banger, who that, that part of the influence is from, is about 70 IBU, so it's nothing like that, uh, but it is just got a little bit more of a dank, uh, slightly savoury note to it that I think makes it stopping I think 
that's what stops it being too cloying. Mm-hmm. And the spelt more adding uh, a little bit more complexity and more character uh, just brings it together really nicely. It was kind of a, like a, you know, everyone has ideas like you go, oh, I'm going to try this because I think this will work for this reason, this will work for this reason. If you put them together, hopefully it'll work. And then sometimes you do that and it mm. goes, oh, that actually worked. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Brilliant. Keep making that one. Yeah, so that's collision. And how else does that Belgian influence um, affect what you are making here at Unity? Because you, your core range, you've got um, pale ale, yeah. um, Belgian pale. Yeah. Um, your South Coast IPA, so named, collision, so named because we it, are here on the South Coast. Exactly. People like, <laughs> when we first released it, I thought it was hilarious on Untapped being like, oh, what is South Coast IPA as a style? You know, I, I've heard of East Coast IPA and I've heard of. West Coast IPA or South Coast IPA. You could have really like fucked with it's, them and said, "Oh, it's from Louisiana." You know, it's yeah. like this. It's this new. It's <laughs> literally an IPA made on the South Coast. Yeah. <laughs> it's but, great. You know, part of what we're about is is representing where we're from. So, yeah. Uh, you know, there's there's we put Southampton skylines on our cans. You know, it's it's uh, a sense of place is important. It doesn't have to be necessarily. You don't necessarily have to have a sense of place by making terroir-driven wild ales, you know, mm. for its ingredients. You can do it by the way that you, rep, by the way that you communicate. I guess that comes down to your 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 brand name, Unity. You know, yeah. it's it's just, it's showcasing a sense of place. Mm. Uh, but you you do have intention to do some more wild ales. You were definitely talking yeah, about bread yeah. earlier. Yeah, and and from a homebrewing, I used to do a lot of messing around with different bread cultures and mm-hmm. uh, a little bit of spontaneous culture stuff as well yeah. when, when I was homebrewing I haven't homebrewed how, how since successful I was first your, started how successful was your spontaneous uh, so I did, I did I did about five different goes on it and mm. I think one was really like genuinely actually really good and the rest were pretty much awful <laughs> but you know if you want to take one of that kind of I mean, it's literally like a tray of work that I put in my back garden for the night, you know, and then chucked it in a chucked it in a plastic bucket with a load of work. See, see what happens, kind of situation. Mm. It wasn't a, um, I wasn't delving in too heavily into it, but um, Brett saisons and things like that uh, are great. I really, really love Brett Ford saisons. They're mm. great. Yeah. Do you uh, think you'll get some barrel? Uh, there's no barrels here yet. But do you think that's? Well, there isn't. No, we've got racks ready. Okay. Uh, so we're going to be doing a little bit of clean barrel A stuff and some, some dirty barrel A stuff as well. Yeah. So the first beer going as a barrel, which we're brewing this year, is a beer that we brew every year called Annum, mm-hmm. which was first originally brewed for our first anniversary. Mm-hmm. And then we brew it once a year. And it's a big Belgian double export style. So it's kind of the, the base recipe is like a kind of old school British style. Style, yeah. you know, Truman's like eighteen hundred vibes. So, uh, so higher ABV. Yeah. Style. And uh, we're putting that into masala barrels this year. Oh, so nice. that'll be quite fun. Uh, we'll see how that comes out. And then we're going to start doing some more. We're going to be taking work from um, our core beers that we brew and other one offs that we brew and putting them into barrel and introducing mixed culture to those and uh, doing a bit of blending and seeing what we come up with really at the moment it's, there's, there's no like fixed plan of exactly what we're going to brew we're going to have a bit of fun experiment and see what the barrels do and uh, take the, see those barrels as ingredients rather than necessarily you know I'm going to make this saison and I'm going to barrel age it with this bacteria and that yeah. and that Brett strain and to make this beer we're going to go cool let's occasionally chuck stuff in the barrel and then we'll look at it every month and see what we've got and review it and go actually barrel 1 and barrel 12 is going to go really nicely together so let's blend that together and release mm-hmm. it you know so we're, we're, we're going to be pretty holistic with it and just have a bit of fun with it and see where it goes I can't wait to try those beers um, yeah. but Tell me who's inspiring you. What what brewers do you look to for inspiration, and, and who do you admire? What? Such an easy, <laughs> such a nerd, such a big nerd. Uh, the Colonel and Burning Sky in the UK are the boys. Yeah, you know, they are. What is it about those breweries that? that well, the Colonel's that, approach that is you? is um, always been an inspiration to me. You know, they're not interested in world expansion or taking over the world. They just want to make some nice beer, have good quality of life for their staff and just have a nice time and yeah. and not 
yeah, just not be so capitalist, gung ho about everything. And I just love that. And that, you know, let's just have a have a time and make mm-hmm. some great beers, and everyone have a good work life balance. <laughs> yeah, um, I think something's not. It, it's it's um, where the industry at a lot of growth, which we'll talk about uh, over the next few minutes. It does feel like everyone's kind of chasing their tails a lot. Yeah. And, and the people that can get left behind are the, are the, are the workers and staff. Yeah, definitely. And, but the kernel is a very interesting one because uh, everyone does everything and, yeah. and it, 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 yeah. you, you visit there. Hmm. And it can get pretty hectic there sometimes. It can yeah, any brewery, any brewery, you know. Yeah. But it's generally pretty mellow. Mm. And yeah. it's very exciting to, to know that they'll be opening their tap room in a, in a few weeks. Can't wait, man. They're kind of great, and, and and I think it shows in the beer because they're completely honest, and they're not, they're not chasing any fashion in any way whatsoever, mm. and they just make beer that they feel right about. You know, yeah. does it feel right to make this beer for us? Yes, cool, make it. Yeah. You know, that's what they do, and I'm really into that, and that's what's so great about Burning Sky as well. Yes. You know, like they make beer that is right for them, and that really shows mm. in the product. You mm. know. And like beer, you know, a point of um, a rise or something. Is it a rise that, you know, what's, um, I'm just talking about being a massive Burning Sky fan, I can't even tell yeah. what the beer's called. Which, which one? The two cask ones. Oh, uh, Aurora and Plateau. That's it, Aurora and Plateau. So right, Plateau Rise is a session IPA, isn't Plateau it? is a beer yeah. that I order without hesitation. Yeah, I, it's it, If I see it, I don't even see the other casks on the bar. No. Aurora has a, is a dangerous pint because it's at 5.6 and uh, it drinks like about four. Yeah. So. But they've got those which are great and like modern cast beer right you know American hops but with a total like a more than a foot in, tradi- in traditional cask ale you mm. know it's more of like they've just got like a toe dipped in American craft beer yeah. from traditional cask beer you know it done so well like better than basically anyone else does that and then you've got you know all of their seasonal saisons which is superb and the all the barrel and wild stuff they do mm. and the cool just their cool saison for me yeah. the, the provision yeah just, it's great it's I, find, I do I do find the provision a little bit rich for my palate mm-hmm. I think it has a, a very heavy character of the of their fooders you know? yes yeah um, whereas I, I like my mixed foam beers a bit more delicate mm. but I mean that's like the the, the to have that tiniest criticism on who is otherwise a you know shining light in you know the the world the world's bit you know they 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 have a balance and a finesse that I think's inspiring you know that's the interesting thing I think my favourite Bunny Sky beer is Anniversaire which is mm. their provision which is then it, so it's three months in the fooder and then another nine months in yeah. white wine barrels and it takes that intenseness it kind of mellows it actually yeah. uh, um, so looking forward to trying this year's. Uh, Definitely. I don't have a favourite Burning Sky beer. I don't I just really. Have a Burning Sky beer comes to me and I drink it because it's going to be good, you know. And it's, the Colonel's mixed fermentation beers, we could talk about them. I feel like they're just sort of like, they're not on the radar, but then you, you get a bottle of it and it's like, oh, what? Like, why am I not They're really these good all the at, like, they're, they're not too intense at all. They've got a really nice delicacy to them, which is, you know, my, my favourite mixed firm brewery in the world is Jester King. Mm-hmm. And you drink those beers and, and they're so delicate and balanced and 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 pretty mm. that you know just like no one else is making mixed foam beers like that and I th- actually th- I think the the Colonel's beer the Saison's are touching on that mm. I mean they're just touching on it let's be honest they're no Chester King but they are really superb mm. you know um, I think um, the other ones I've been really impressed we ever get any clipping close to that I mean, we, I do, mean we, could talk, we could talk about Hill Farmstead and the del- delicacy of their Saison's mm. but I was Really impressed by Russian River. Russian River, obviously known for for, for Pliny, or Pliny, yeah. Pliny, and the, and Blind Pig, but their mixed firm wine barrel. Man, I stuff. had Consecration about when did I first drink Consecration? So my dad used to. It's kind of it's all my dad's fault. He used to work in um, in California and San Francisco quite a lot, and so he How used to bring. <laughs> <laughs> he used to like bring me back beers when I was like twenty one, and uh, <laughs> I remember one year he came back and was like. Oh, this, this is what all the locals are drinking you know it's, apparently it's really cool and it was a bottle of Pliny the Elder and I was that's like awesome. yeah I've heard about that <laughs> <laughs> thanks dad that's it was awesome just like, you know it's, it's really like my, my dad's a really good at just kind of chatting away to people and, um, and loves 
craft beer because of that because he'll go anywhere in the world and just touch some yeah. craft beer bar and they can get on anyway and um, and he, he brought me back a bottle of consecration the year after that and it was like this is what the Belgians are making you know I, I used to get really excited so when I first started getting into craft beer um, anything outside of Belgium that was Belgian style in that way I'd get really excited because it's like no one has to do it this is, the, this is like this you know I held Belgian style beer at such a high pinnacle you know and uh, and that was so that was really fun and exciting and then when we then like Brudel came along in the UK and I was like this is like the American stuff my dad's been bringing back mm. this is really exciting um because at the time I wasn't even remotely interested in British craft beer but, uh, well, well, not I... British cast beer sorry not, yeah you know when I came back from the US for the first time in 2010, I was looking for British equivalents to Odell IPA, basically. Yeah, yeah. And it was, um, that's when I found Marble Dobber, which I, I love. Yeah, wicked. Um, Punk IPA, mm. and then Jaipur and, and Kipling yeah, at the time, yeah. uh, which was which great. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely awesome. I mean, it's funny, really, and it's kind of a bit of a shame because you go American craft beer is amazing Belgian beer is amazing let's get English brewers to and British brewers to to uh, copy that to copy that when we have our own when we thing. have our own you know yeah. it wasn't being properly celebrated because it's, it was seen as such a I feel like, like an old a, man thing you know? I feel like we're at the precipice precipice of an emergence of that because um, five points this year with their best of sort of like every everyone in London's like let's go to the Pembury Tavern for a pint of best because yeah. and like what where does that what's the next step are people going to do more keeping mm. porters and and uh, and beers like that yeah more be cool. miles be uh, those beers never really went away yeah. like you know uh, you know Lee's Mild I had recently yeah, in you've Manchester got like Boxcar making their dark mild yeah. you know, which is great it's a really great interpretation of it and. Yeah, I, I hope that will happen. I mean, I think people are talking a lot more about Harvey's now and mm. they're talking a lot more about Timmy Taylor's landlord and, and people that, that, are in, that are into craft beer now are really open to that, whereas before it was like, you mean, you what? Timmy Taylor's landlord? You know, it's like, yeah, seriously, it's really good. And on on yeah. my last trip to Manchester, mm. uh, I spent the day at JW Lee's and, yeah. and I, you know... I, my trips to Manchester, I, I, I go to Cloudwater, I go to Marvel, mm. Runaway, yeah. I go and see all these modern breweries, Track, um, I could go on. There's yeah. a lot of breweries in Manchester, yeah. but I got invited to visit JW Lee's, and I just had a fantastic time yeah. seeing their kit, yeah. and then going to the pub, drinking pints of bitter, uh, Moonraker, their strong bitter, yeah. uh, just just lovely beers. And yeah. they work working incredibly hard to like try and be there. Yeah. Um, and I also, um, my friend Jay Krause at Cloudwater took me to a Hyde's pub, and I'd never had Hyde's bitter. I'd had Hyde's, I'd had Lee's, so I had my first Hyde's bitter. And okay, yeah. I stayed there had like three pints. Nice. It's fantastic. Great. I mean, we've got, uh, I guess locally to here, we've got Hotback, who uh, makes some In the some New Forest. Yeah. No, they're, no, they're, that's they're Ringwood, Salisbury. I'm thinking of. Yeah, Ringwood, yeah. who are Marston's. Yeah. No. Um, but Hotback Summer Lightning is the original English Golden Age. Yeah. You know, straight up East Kent Goldings, pale British malt, you know, 5%, and it's absolutely wicked. Yeah. You know, and that, that's the beer that I've pretty much grew up on. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we, when, we, when we dabbled with cask, we did, we were trying to do more of that kind of stuff, and we just, it, wasn't, it just wasn't biting, mm. which is a shame, really, because I would, I would like to do that. But we've got to the point now where we know what we do and what we're good at and what we enjoy making mm. and that's our little nook in the industry we don't have to do all of the other things we can mm. celebrate the other breweries that do it really well you know so I'm yeah, not, I'm you, not you gonna make sell, you, you don't know. just sell your own beer here you have a lot of guest taps and your yeah, fridges are you've here. got one fridge of your yeah. beers and then two fridges of guest yeah beer. so we've got like 70 lines of uh, bottles and cans in our fridges mm -hmm. and we've got 12 taps in total which as we get into our stride in the new kit I mean we've only been in production for five weeks mm -hmm. on a new site now and once we get into our stride then more and more of the taps will be our own but it does give us an opportunity to enjoy other things you know we had uh, Wylam's Imperial Best Bitter on tap last week man that beer's great it how, tastes how like strong a, was it it was 8% <laughs> and it tasted like a proper Best Bitter but doubled I was expecting it just to taste like a barley wine and it didn't yeah. and it tasted like a Best Bitter but just 
8%, <laughs> which no one really needs, right? Because no. one of the great things about a bitter is that you can smash it. it. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, and you could not smash this. I mean, you could, but you shouldn't. Yeah. Um, and it, but it was impressive. Well, it's, I always it's say funny, Pliny the Elder is basically a really yeah. hoppy ESB, and you can yeah. drink it like one if you want. You can, yeah. drink, you can drink it very easily, <laughs> but yeah. you shouldn't, but yeah. you can. But, I, <laughs> but, but coming back to that, um, I do think it's important that breweries have their nook, right? Yeah. And um, that we celebrate breweries that do other things really well. Mm. And that will hopefully encourage people to have start breweries with their own... The, the, their, their little um, uh, niche. Mm. I'm going to say niche because there's too many American podcasts where people say niche. <laughs> it's not niche, is it? It's niche. It is, be honest. It, is, it is niche. It's bloody niche. Uh, where, where you know, it'd be great if a brewery started and their niche was old school trad bitters and like, like you're saying, keep importers and stuff. Yeah. It'd be so cool. I'd be so into that. I would buy that. Yeah. You know, if we ever get bought up by InBev, that's what. That's, that's what you're gonna do. <laughs> the, the, the new side project. We barrel the ferment the fuck out of every English style you can get. <laughs> Earlier on in this conversation, um, you were talking about we were talking about growth, and then yeah. before. We turned the microphone on. We we're talking about it, and you—you, you, um, you're pretty content to stay small. Mm. Um, and we see a lot of breweries right now seeking growth, crowdfunding, looking for the expansion site. But you don't seem to be interested in that. There's, there's a lot of co- like an, a feeling of contentment in, yeah. in this brewery. So why, why are you not so? Um, uh, why are you not seeking that kind because of growth? I, because I think it's unnecessary. <laughs> why is you it know, unnecessary? Because you, so, as a company, you have a responsibility to make profit, mm. right? That is that as a as a as a limited company, it's what you, like you have a technical responsibility to make profit. Yes. Uh, if you're not doing that, you're failing as a company mm. um, from a technical standpoint, right? And if you number one, if you're continually growing, you're not making any profit, so you're failing, right? Yeah, I've got growth this, growth that, and all the rest of it, but where's your profit? It's not there because I'm growing. Mm. When do you stop that? You know, if you keep doing that, then you're not doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I want to make sure that we're making the absolute most delicious beer we can. I want to make sure that my staff are well paid and not overworked, you know. Like, we've got 40-hour week for my brewers here. Most breweries are 45 hours a week standard, mm-hmm. you know, and and don't pay living wage, you know. It's like, you know, remember the Living Wage Foundation, I want everyone to have a good time and I want to be able to pay myself enough to support my family you know that is my goal you know really good beer staff that are really happy and treated properly and paid well and uh, being able to support my family Mm. I don't really understand what anyone else is if anyone's got more intentions than that it's purely on uh, an ambition and an ego level and all the rest of it because it's not creative because you, like just making more of something isn't creative you know mm. it's it's just making more of something so if you want to make lots of different interesting beers you don't have to be big to do that and actually it's probably better if you're small to do that mm. because you can make smaller batches and more of them and not flood the market um, so really when breweries go I sold to whoever it is because we had to expand um, and we couldn't afford to. Why did you have to expand? Are you making good profit? Mm-hmm. Is all your stuff being paid well? Is your beer really good? Great. Why do you need to expand? You know, I just don't quite understand the thought process behind that apart from just like it's pure ego and uh, just want just wanting that bigness mm. you know I want more and more and more and more and more why do you want more there's no there's no other reason apart from your own self-satisfaction to have it any bigger than that mm. you know and th- we have this idea in capitalism that if you're not expanding then you're not successful it's like well I don't believe that I'm making profit you're not making profit because mm. you're you, you keep expanding like who's winning here in capitalism you know I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm like a total socialist right so so my I, I'm not that into uh, the, the capitalist ideas I mean I run a company I own a house I'm not doing very well as a, you know, as a, as a fellow but, fellow socialist you know, like, recently um, started a limited company yeah yeah um, but um, you know I mean you, you, you can see what I'm getting at I, yeah. I think that um, 100%. you know slow expansion is fine you know if we 
if and I, and I believe that demand is, so so people talk about demand right so I need to expand to meet demand it's okay you've got a, we were talking about it earlier if you've got a sales team of 10 people you're creating your own demand so it's almost false demand you know you're making that demand happen for you it's not that your beer is that great and your branding is that good on its own that's making people want to buy your beer it's because you're going out and you're doing deals and you're mm-hmm. cutting a price or you're doing that this and the other and you're just flogging it to people and you're in people's faces you can be doing that in the nicest way possible and people think you're absolutely lovely but you're still doing that you know we don't have a sales team <laughs> and uh, I, I don't need a sales team because I want our demand to come from the quality of our products and the quality of the way that we communicate with people you know and if that means that people want to buy a beer I hope that means people want to buy a beer but if that means that um, more people than we expect want to buy our beer then we'll put another tank in you know and then maybe in a couple of years time we might put one more tank in mm-hmm. you know but I'm not that's not part of the plan necessarily you know I want to make good profit I want to pay back the shareholders that you know that we've we crowdfunded and we've got other shareholders that have helped realize my dream essentially and I want to make sure that they've got a return on their investment and a little bit of pocket money as a thanks for helping me realize something awesome mm. you know that's absolutely important to me but that means I need to make profit. <laughs> you know? So it's like a really funny roundabout way of, uh, of looking at expansion. And, you know, we could be making, you know, 60 hectolitres a week and we're absolutely laughing. You know, mm. at the moment we're making 40 hectolitres a week and, and that actually, you know, with, my, with the profit projections and a nice little tap room and, you know, we sell half our beer locally, uh, we're, we're good, you know. Mm. Well, we will be. I mean, we've just expanded, so we haven't got any money at all right now. But, um, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's... You have, uh, just, built a, the, you have just doubled you know, in size. The, the, the cash flow forecast looks good, you know, to make sure that everyone can have a nice time. Well, it seems like you've got a really good thing going here, man. Thanks, man. Uh, congrats on the expansion, and uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure. Do you want to go and get another beer? We should, probably, Absolutely. shouldn't we? <laughs> Let's get a collision, mate. Yes. <laughs>For most of my stay, I'd been unable to find an authentic beer experience, through which to attain some insight into the country. Now though, the day before my departure, in a casually upscale boutique restaurant, I thought I had finally found my chance in the form of a wagwa, Rwandan banana beer. My server seemed sceptical. Even before I'd descended into Kigali's coal-smoked, muggy night air several days prior... I decided that the international conference I was attending was the perfect pretext for a beer discovery mission. Before leaving home, I'd consulted Ratebeer and TripAdvisor, and potential leads were starred on Google Maps. I'd been to the region before, and I knew of its ubiquity of industrial lager. But I fancied myself a more discerning explorer, a latter-day Stanley hacking through an undergrowth of macro pilsners in search of something realer. My knowledge of Rwanda began and ended in 1994. While taking shuttles between the conference venue and my hotel, it seemed to me that Kigali was shaped but not defined by its past. I snatched only peripheral glimpses of that terrible history. The oppressive police presence on the streets, lopsided gender representation in officialdom, a shadowy memorial to murdered Belgian paratroopers. I felt guilty for not paying due respect to the country's horrific past, safe in my privilege that I could avoid being grimmed out by visits to Kigali's genocide memorials. That first night, as my airport minivan rumbled around Kigali's cornishes on the way to the hotel, I got my first glimpse of the city's beer scene and nightlife. Alongside ubiquitous signs for Western Union exchanges, saddle-in wood varnish and MTN 4G contracts were halogen-lit billboards for Skoll, Heineken and 100% pure malt Amstel. 
The next morning, venturing up a rain-sodden hill on Kigali's margins, where the city fizzled out into surrounding forest, its beer allegiances became clearer. These European brands marked their territory by splashing colour across the walls and worn patio chairs of single-storey bars. Primus Electric Blue, Skull Canary Yellow, Black and White and Red for Mutzig, the umlaut and echo of a previous Teutonic Dominion. One of these bars could well have been a gateway to the authentic Kigali I was seeking. Beer is useful for such communions. The best beer experiences have deep local roots. Think Lambic in Brussels or Beer Hoy in Hanoi. They have something to say about the cultures and traditions that they hail from and the idiosyncrasies of the people who drink them. I'd read up on banana beer, made from the fermented juice of mashed, ripened bananas, and I envisioned myself wandering into a yellow skull bar, ordering a glass and getting a proper handle on Kigali. It wasn't long before all my talk of wanting to explore the real Kigali was revealed to be self-important guff. We eventually arrived at a walled-off outdoor market, bursting with life, but no obvious entrance, and flanked with groups of disinterested taxi drivers. My brain immediately started popping with irrational worst-case scenarios. Was this the right place? Did we really want to go in? Would we get scammed and would our gear come back out with us? And what was making me panic? The children in their Sunday best coming out of mass from a church across the street, jostling for a chance to ogle us from their veranda? Or their parents, no less curious but more reserved in their voyeurism? I was being ridiculous, giving in to my worst baseless gut prejudices. I scuttled back to my hotel to soothe a bruised ego. I was supposed to be the voyeur, the foreign interloper in search of a bit of African exoticism I could parlay into a bottle-share anecdote when I got home. Confronted with my obvious and pathetic whiteness, I felt keenly out of place and uncomfortable in self-reflection. It turns out I didn't really want to experience Kigali as it was, but instead a carefully packaged version that I could easily digest during my visit through the region. For the rest of the week, I drank macro lagers that tasted of nothing, except for an acrid taint of self-loathing. Until, hot, bothered and exhausted after a week of conference flesh-pressing, I had landed a shot at redemption in that Chi-Chi restaurant. Turning to the waitress, I reconfirmed my order. No, there was no need for a taster. Okay, fine, if you insist. When she returned, I gave the sample a perfunctory sniff and gulp. Yes, it's what I wanted. Thank you. You can leave the bottle. The banana beer was a cloudy, viscous yellow liquid. It sure smelled of fermented bananas, tasting of the burnt lid of a creme brulee, or of a banoffee pie baked with black ripe bananas, washed down with a harsh alcohol burn. The end of the glass brought no epiphanies about my surroundings. Just a grim satisfaction. It was just a beer and I was no Stanley. But does the world need another preening beer explorer? My fumbling in Kigali hadn't opened any windows for me into the city's soul, but they had revealed to me some hard truths, probably more than I was comfortable with. Thoughts best washed away with a fresh bottle of Mutzig. I beckoned over our server one more time. That's it. You've made it to the end of the first series of the Pellicle podcast. Unless you've listened to the episodes in the wrong order, in which case you still have plenty more great conversations and stories to listen to. From Johnny and myself, I wanted to thank you for spending your time listening to our little show and reading our site over at pellicalemag.com. When we launched Pellicle in May 2019, we had no idea how many of you it would reach. It's an honour and a thrill. Special thanks to our website sponsor, Hot Burns and Black, and to our Patreon subscribers. Your support means our little independent publication can keep on going and work towards our goal of producing issue one of our print magazine later in 2020. Now for a little real talk. We didn't use any of our budget to develop and produce this podcast. 
It was a labour of love and we hoped it would add depth to the content we offer. We covered the travel and equipment costs almost all by ourselves and a lot of time was spent on post-production. We even wrote our own theme tune. As such, we would love it if you could support us too. You can do it from as little as a pound or a dollar a month. Simply head to patreon.com forward slash pellicle mag to sign up. That's patreon.com forward slash pellicle mag. We're also on the hunt for a sponsor for our second series. If you'd like the opening message to promote your business, please drop me an email on matthew at pellicalmag.com. Don't worry if you can't afford to support us at the moment. We're thrilled that you spent time listening to our show regardless. If you do have a couple of seconds to leave us a review on your podcast app of choice, however, that would help a lot more people find us. Right, that's enough from me for now. See you in Series 2. As ever, I've been Matthew Curtis, and you've been listening to The Pellicle Podcast. Podcast.